I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my addiction circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next Addiction Circle will be held on Tuesday, May 7th at 5 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. On today's episode, I'm sharing a replay of the live session I did around my wintering series. It was a three-week email series about rest and seasonal restoration of our nervous systems. And a lot of beautiful wisdom came through, so I wanted to share it. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Take a minute to let some people settle in since we have a bunch of people getting in. And if you turn on your camera, I can see who's here. Love to see that. It's so cool to see people's faces who have been on the newsletter who I don't even know. This is really cool. So I'm, I'm going to look through and to see who's here. Some of you I know, which is lovely to see some familiar faces. And while you're here, also just noticing as well, like, how is it to look around? How is it to take some people in? What does it feel like? Like, take a moment just to get settled into the space. I'm really excited to, to share this with everyone, see what we learned and what's coming up for all of us. Just seeing you here. Oh, I get so happy when I see people I haven't seen for a while. It's so sweet. <laughs> okay. Now, while you're while we're here and we're getting settled in, just remember, just a reminder, and you've already been told by Zoom, this is being recorded, okay? Because we have a lot of people from all over the world that couldn't make it this time. So they want to hear what we are sharing and what we have to say and what we learned today. So this will go out uh, in the newsletter. So if you want to share with your face, you want to share with your voice, no people will see it. Okay, this may even go to YouTube and my podcast. I'm not sure yet. But just know this is a public experience, even though just the newsletter is here enjoying it in real time together. Okay, if you don't want to share publicly, if, if something in you says, Nope, obviously, I want you to honor that. This is where you would DM. So I'm going to give you some little Zoom tutorial if you're new with this. If you go to the bottom where it says chat, you can DM Marika or Camille or myself. We don't have the chat open for everyone because that can get very overwhelming when there's a lot of people like talking about things on the side. Uh, I'm not going to get the DMs, but Camille and Marika will. 
Um, Camille is especially working in the DM box. So you can write to her with any questions you have, uh, any concerns, any requests, things that you once said on your behalf anonymously. You can go right to her for that. And Marika will be helping me call on people when we get to moments where we raise our hands if we do want to share with our voice, our faces, okay? Um, why don't we actually, let's take a moment just for some of you who truly just know me through the newsletter. Why don't we introduce Camille and Marika first so you can get to know them because those of you who've been in the course, you know us very well. Um, Marika, why don't you go first? Just tell them a little bit about yourself here and Hello. Um, so I'm the operations manager for Holistic Life Navigation and also um, an assistant to Louise. Um, I'm in Seattle. And yeah, you can always um, reach out to me if you need anything. Um, and I really, really enjoyed this wintering project. So I'm excited to see what everybody, um, yeah, to see what came up for everyone. Thanks. Let's hear it for that Pelo Nuevo. Looks so beautiful. Okay, go ahead, Camille. Hello, everyone. I'm Camille. I am a uh, community manager at HLN. So I will be here to support you through this experience. Like we said, if you had any questions, um, you can send them to me in the chat or if there's something you'd like to put into space anonymously, I can do this for you. Um, and uh, like Marika said, I also am really excited to hear from you all about your experience with wintering. I am a big fan of wintering and hibernating and um, also looking forward to sharing with you my own experience and observations with us. Mm, thank you both. Yeah, so let's first start by just doing a little somatic settling which really just means get comfortable, let your body be supported to the best of your ability. And as you get comfortable and let your body be supported, notice what's in there. What's happening inside of you as you settle in with us and you feel the support of whatever it is you're sitting or lying on. Okay, really notice. Whenever I say settle in, I don't mean settle down. I mean settle in. Let's settle into what's here. And we're just gently scanning. We're scanning. We're noticing where is their activation? Where is their pain? Where is their pleasure? Where is their numbness? Where are their temperature differences? Oh, it's warm here. It's cold here. Really just play with getting to know the sensations of your body right now. Let's just see what that's like first. So then you know what you're coming in with. And see what your body shows you as you do that. Sometimes this is the first time we've been invited all day to check in with our bodies. So also notice that. How unique is this for you? How practiced is this for you? What's it like to check in with your body right now? And one thing to be aware of as we do this check-in is we're not trying to change anything. We're not even trying to understand anything. We're just practicing noticing and experiencing. So I notice a tightness in my chest and I settle into it to experience it. Okay. And as we're doing this, 
notice how your body has been held or holding or responding to this wintering practice. Whether you were doing it all along with us the last three weeks, whether you just heard it, the concept from maybe a title of the email and you just sat with that. If you did one practice and didn't do any other ones, doesn't matter. There's no right way to do this. We're just here to kind of play with, hmm, how does my body respond to this idea of seasonal resting? Where the outer landscapes tell the inner landscape something. The outer landscapes draw something from the inner landscapes. It's so relational. You know, the seasons are so relational. And a lot of a lot of you were writing in through the weeks who were tropical, equatorial, southern hemisphere, living in places that um, don't have what we would think of the Northeast as winter, right? And it was so cool. Someone had written in from Australia saying, actually, this is our hottest season and my body wants to rest because of that. So wherever you live, there's something happening now right? That happens around this month that doesn't happen in June. It's just different. There's something different happening. And noticing how your body responds to that. And feeling into that response right now. Because we have so many people here from all over, we get, we get a privilege to have a lot of wisdom come through today as we go into sharing. So see what is it from this wintering practice that really resonated for you? Is it the recent newsletter around nutrition? Is it the first piece around light and screens? Overcouplings in the bedroom? How I resist slowness or rest? You know, what piece was really alive for you? And the first thing I want to invite is just to DM Camille some things that came up for you through this process, like, you know, a, a sentence or a few descriptive words of where did this go for you? And Camille will read them to us so we can kind of just take in the collective feedback without people having to mute and unmute first. So just noticing again, what was alive for you or is, right? Because we learned these last few weeks, practicing them, but we're just going into solstice next week. So we have a couple months ahead of us, especially if in the Northeast, to play with us. This isn't, we're just getting started. So tell us what's alive for you, what, you, what you're learning or what's coming up through this. Through Camille, please. So we're having some responses. <laughs> Rest has to be earned. A sense of understanding. I stopped using caffeine. And more in touch with low energy and subtle depression, trouble resting and tuning in. I'm enjoying candlelight in the evenings. Fight and flow. Dropping into more grief. Letting nighttime be dark. Learning to enjoy the darkness. My awareness broadened of how slowness shows up in my life naturally. Quieting fight or flight is tricky with a 10-week-old baby. Relief, creativity awakening. Uh, I felt relief from, for, from the invitation to rest. 
permission to go at my slow pace instead of getting swept up into the madness of holiday preparation. Yeah. Wintering has brought up a sense of tragic grief as I feel dissonant with the materialistic Christmas vibes around me. Beginning to notice my bedroom, I found myself really curious why I had so much resistance to the seasonal changes. I felt like I wasn't ready for winter. Noticing where anxiety lives in my body, the cycle of anxiety being seasonal and scheduled between night and morning. The realization that it doesn't feel safe for my body to rest. The relationship with rest that my body has. Oh, and there are a lot, Louise, so please stop stopping me. <laughs> I was just feeling I was going to give you, I was going to say three more, maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, the resistance to slowing down. Noticing how screens and lights before bed made a huge difference. Um, the permission to surrender. Was that three? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So let's just all take a moment to feel those, you know, which ones were yours, whether they were yours or not, like which ones were for you to hear and connect with and relate to. If yours wasn't shared, even sharing yours to yourself right now, whether you say it out loud to yourself or in your mind, you'll see what emerges as you heard these, see how that feels in your body. I love this. I think the very first one you said was rest needs to be earned. And that was one of the things I wanted to play with today was the overcoupling with rest, which I touched on a bit in the series. But to do it in person collectively is a whole other experience. So if you're not familiar, overcouplings are associations we have with experiences. We think of like the Pavlovian effect, Pavlov's dog, every time the dog is fed and a bell's rung at the same time, the dog salivates even when it's not fed. It has overcoupled the bell with hunger, with salivation, with eating. What is our overcoupling with rest? What's our connotation with rest? Is it gooey? Is it lovely? Is it positive? Is it scary? Is it shameful? How do we hold space for rest in our bodies based on our overcouplings? What do we associate with rest? And this is another time when the answer comes through your body to write to Camille. And we'll have a share a bunch of just what what are our overcouplings around rest? Someone shared the first share. Earned. Rest must be earned. That's an overcoupling. Let's start there and then we're going to play a bit from that. Mm, um, Depression. Comfort, guilt, laziness, weakness, unacceptable, shame, indulgent, hurt or pain, bliss, regeneration, difficult to do around other people, unsafe, alone or scary. Sloth-like, escape, lack of financial security, a luxury, a way to avoid hard things, privilege. It feels sticky, delicious, but dangerously addicting. Scary, like slipping into an abyss I might not be able to come out of. 
rest is only for the sick. Rest is lazy. Three more, please. I need permission. Um, rest must be kept to a minimum. And I don't have time. Camille or Marika, do you want to share any overcoupling that comes up for you with rest? Um, for a long time, I overcoupled rest with being weird. Um, the idea that when I wanted to rest, it seemed the antithesis of what everybody else was doing. So for me, rest was really overcoupled with being weird or odd. I What came up for me was that um, I never really wanted to rest because then I really did feel into my body. I could feel what was going on. And so I, I tended to be have a lot of insomnia or um, or I would just do things that would keep me adrenalized and up. Love those. What was coming for me with mine was rest means I'll get behind, like I'll fall behind. Now, what's really interesting about these overcouplings that we're sharing, whether the ones you heard, the ones you're noticing in yourself, the next question is, does this overcoupling nurture or prevent me from resting? Right? Does it invite rest or does it prevent rest? And really notice the somatic response to the overcoupling. So I'll use myself as an example, right? If I rest, I'll fall behind. Immediate tightening in the chest, right? That doesn't invite rest. It invites fear response. It invites an activation, a charge that gets stuck up here, right? That charge that would then propel me to overwork or propel me to look at my phone, or propel me to clean something in the house, to do a flight response, because being settled didn't seem like a good option, right? So notice where you feel the overcoupling in your body around rest. And again, is your overcoupling a, a nurturing one? Does it invite rest? Or is it a stressful one that prevents rest? Either way, how does it show up in the body? And just feel into that for a moment. See where that goes for you. We're getting some responses in the chat. Did you want to hear them? Or? Yeah, why not? Okay. Let's do yeah. it. Um, several folks are just saying uh, how their overcoupling prevents the rest. Um, uh, someone shared, yeah, they can feel the tightness in their um, upper solar plexus get charged and pulsing and overwhelming. Um, a tightness in the throat area, a feeling at relief at being able to avoid hard things, um, a feeling of wanting to gasp for air and feel the lungs. Other people's busyness is activating when I'm resting, the need to match their busyness. It all goes to the neck. I feel both constriction in my chest and expansion in the shoulders. Heart racing. Uh, rest is over coupled with fear that I won't get things done and I feel this in my womb area. Let's pause so, right there. Okay. Thanks. So noticing how these overcouplings become biological. That's what's so important for us right now to feel into. This unconscious association that in the world of somatics we call overcoupling 
it creates a physical state in my body. It creates a biology, right? So as you check in with this, notice what biology does it create? One of ease and softening and opening or one of stress and activation and bracing, okay? The very physiology of rest is the openness. I have to let down my guard. If, it, if rest includes sleep, I have to feel safe becoming unconscious. These are really vulnerable states to be in when the body doesn't think that's a safe option, right? So when your body is so used to bracing against life, which a traumatized system, that's what it's doing essentially. It's bracing against life and against life's experiences because it's afraid. The sensations they create are kind of too overwhelming, too much to handle, right? Rest is a, a, this radical opposite. I stop bracing. I stop being vigilant. I stop moving. I stop progressing. I stop doing. It's the opposite of what trauma response wants. And then we have those trauma responses like freeze and collapse, where freeze braces me for movement and collapse causes me to get limp and not have vitality. And we sometimes think that that's resting, right? But it's a dissociated state that the body chooses. It's a survival state in response to overwhelm. So if your history has been with depression or freeze or shutdown or dissociation, the physiology of rest can feel like that state. And that's enough to scare you out of resting. And I heard someone say that through Camille, depression is what it was overcoupled with. That's one example, right? When I say falling behind is what mine's overcoupled with, then it's sitting with what does that mean for me? Where have I experienced that? What is, it, what is this feeling of release? How does that remind me of a time I fell behind? What makes overcoupling so tricky is they feel in the now something we've experienced in the past. So the experience of rest, which is inherently non-threatening, biologically feels like a threat because it's overcoupled with something stressful. Right? It's a trick. Overcoupling is the greatest trick of the human experience because we're out of time. It's a somatic time traveling. There's my couch. Can I lay there and stare at the wall for 10 minutes in between clients? Or does something awaken some unconscious overcoupling that propels me out of that state because it feels unsafe to release my defenses? So now we want to kind of slowly move into rest as a state of defenselessness. What's our relationship with defenselessness? What's our relationship with pausing, not building, not creating, not doing? What's our relationship with those things? And just feeling into it. We won't take any chats. You can write them if you want them to be witnessed, but we're not going to speak them just yet. Just so we can notice how um, unconscious these states are related to rest. Something that intellectually seems so simple. Like, why can't I just rest? Why don't we just rest as a culture? This is why. Do you live in a culture that models defenselessness? Some of you might. I'm in America, so I don't know. But really just asking yourself, like, do I live in a society that models defenselessness? 
that models vulnerability as a positive thing. That models pausing and not progressing as a nourishing thing, as a successful thing. Is that modeled for me? Just kind of like checking in as I ask that question. And if it's not modeled collectively to you in your society or culturally, where is it modeled to you? Is there a person in your life? Is there a place in nature? Where have you seen positive overcouplings around rest, around defenselessness, around vulnerability? Just check that out. These answers that emerge from my questions are showing you why it's easy, either either easy for you to rest or difficult, right? You're learning what you've been practicing. When we say the word conditioning, what we're really talking about is practicing. Because at one point, we were born into a culture that has a certain value system, a certain way of moving and expressing in the world. And then at another point, we adopt that unconsciously or consciously, and we practice it and we prop it up as individuals. So there's a conditioning we're born into, and then there's a practicing that we're doing without even realizing it. So what's my practice been around rest? Based on my conditioning, based on my culture, based on my upbringing. Just noticing that. I think this, I, I wrote this in the newsletter, this series really emerged from my need to winter because I hadn't done it in so long. And my, my, teens need to winter because this year was so demanding on our bodies to do the work we're doing with so many people that we were all feeling like how can we get a pause here and the earth has always been my number one teacher before anything else and so i'm just i live in the forest and i'm just watching winter take over this forest essentially and it was so beautiful to watch the retreat of things because I had always intellectually thought winter death. And then as I sat with it, I noticed there's no death, there's a retreat. The life force of the trees, they don't die, they retreat. That sap goes inwards and the leaves fall and the leaves gift the floor, the ground with warmth. They gift the ground with fertility, with, with compounds as they degrade. You know, it's a gift, this incredible fertile process that comes from retreating. I thought, ooh, retreating, what would that be like? Right? And so I'm saying this because one of the greatest resources in trauma, where I shouldn't say resources, like one of the greatest practices when we're working on healing stress and trauma is resting. And those answers you all just gave us around overcouplings, that's what gets in the way of resting. And a lot of people, I shouldn't even say a lot of people, I've seen a couple people get very defensive with me about that, which I greatly respect. Uh, must be easy for you. I have four kids. Must be easy for you. I'm a single parent. I have to work two jobs. I get it. I've been there except for the four kids. <laughs> I haven't done that part. What's interesting is in between, in moments of transition, in moments of being with myself, whether it's in the car, laying in bed, taking a bath, going to a bathroom, what's my body's ability to go into a restful state? Because rest means something different for all of us. Some people rest means like I take the weekend off. Other people it means I take five minutes to close my eyes before I cook dinner. There's a spectrum based on your circumstances. 
So it's not about an idea of rest that we're, uh, we're trying to gain. That's not going to work here. It's about what's within my capacity and reality of rest. That's where we begin. And I want everyone to ask themselves that now. Really noticing based on your lifestyle, your circumstances, your reality, what is your ability for rest? What allows you to rest? How, how much time? What kind of rest? Let's start by bowing to reality, not to what we wish it was like and feeling what emerges. And I would love some chats to Camille about this, some creative ways of how can I rest in between all my responsibilities? Just tell us what this looks like to you. And as you do that, I'm going to add one more thing. Capacity is the biology of space inside of us. The more space inside of us, the more the, tr the charge that comes with life's events that create trauma, that charge metabolizes because of space, because of capacity. I often and many other trauma therapists will say building capacity because it's, it's under, like intellectually it makes sense that we're building capacity. Capacity actually happens from pausing. It's not a thing we build. So I'm trying to even, even reframe these words myself so we can hear these, these differently, right? You can't build capacity. You can build tolerance for discomfort. You can build habits to push through capacity. I know we're all good at that. But how do we actually nurture capacity instead of building it? Rest, pausing, breathing, moments of stillness, moments of nothing. Just like when we first got on this call, we were noticing what's in our bodies. And we're going to do a practice with this later. But just really noticing my pausing, my rest, my settling into myself, that's how capacity nurtures and expands. So I don't have to do all this trauma work to heal. I can just rest sometimes. <laughs> Other times, maybe there's work. But I can also just do nothing. And doing nothing is so accessible to all of us in different levels, but accessible nonetheless. And that's the question now. What's my reality? Where is the opportunity for me to do nothing? And what does that look like? And we can start overcoupling that with trauma healing, with doing the work. So instead of resting being a pause from life, resting being a part of life and the sustaining of my life, right? So let me know what you're finding, Camille. What are people sharing? <clears throat> um guided rest like uh with yoga um meditating even for just five minutes leaving my phone in my locker at work instead of having it on me all day um letting myself watch tv or play video games at the end of the night without feeling guilty um rest just resting in the uh little in-between moments um not being on the whole time I'm awake. Uh, starting the day with a candle for rest. Um, I pause and go outside and sit in the sun, even if it's just for five minutes. Um, I slow down my breaths. I lie on the floor and caress my body. I give myself five minutes in between meetings to go outside and experience the environment somatically. Um, I have a hot beverage ritual that allows me to rest. It's like creating the set and the setting for it. 
Just do three more. Okay. Um, I take it. I take time to look out at the horizon or outside as far as away as possible. Um, I take a walk during my lunch break. I enjoy staring at the Christmas tree. Love it. Thank you. So two things came up there. And before I go into it, I just want to orient us so we know what we're doing in this space. I'm going to speak for a few minutes about what came up. Then I'm going to lead us in a guided somatic practice about our capacity to receive support because it's it's related to what Camille just shared with these examples of what I'm about to say. Just so you know, like, we're not just going to sit here and talk full time. We're going to do some practices together. And then at the end, we'll have a big chunk for sharing. We'll have a, about a half hour. So um, if you feel like, yes, I want to share, just know that's what we're going to do in, a, in about a half hour. I loved the without feeling guilty. That's, that was really important to me. I'm going to tell you why. Think about what we said about overcouplings, right? With overcoupled experiences, I, I should say stressful or traumatic overcouplings, there are secondary responses to these, right? So let's say my body feels tired. And that tiredness is inviting me to lay down. It's like, just lay down and close your eyes. And I do. I listen to it. I lay down and close my eyes. If I have an overcoupling with rest as something wrong, there's going to be a secondary response to that. In this case, with this person's experience, they said without, but often it will be with, let's say, guilt, for instance. So I take the 10 minutes to rest, and then I have guilt on top of the rest. So that somatic experience of pausing and releasing gets interrupted because this secondary activating emotion and judgment comes in. This is why uncoupling is so important for trauma healing, because we can do all the right things. But when those things are overcoupled with something stressful or traumatic, there will be negative connotations that come through our bodies that interrupt the actual medicine we're trying to get from the thing we're doing. So I thought that was just, it really came up for me that I wanted to share so we could understand how sneaky and tricky these overcouplings are. Not because the body is malicious or we're broken or we're negative, because the body's scared. Because a traumatized nervous system and brain and adrenal glands are like, I can't stop. I have to stay on for your survival, right? They've overcoupled hypervigilance in that adrenalized activated state with our survival, those systems in us believe that's what's keeping us alive right now as we're sitting here watching these this this I'm gonna say this show maybe it is a show but this 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 Q and A this live live session we're in together right so as we're watching this as we're together a big part of us is saying I have to stay hyper vigilant to survive even though we look around and we know right now our life isn't being threatened okay really really important so we can understand there's a fear in the body. It's not a horrible body. It's not even a horrible society. It's a scared society. It's a scared body. Okay. And as I start settling into that, a compassion comes forward and an understanding and even a curiosity, like we'd be with a child that wakes up from a nightmare. We'd go in and create some safety so they can see nothing scary is happening. That's what we want to do with these bodies around rest. Okay. Because rest is really scary for traumatized, stressful system, systems. Very scary. And when someone said in between moments, I just love that so much because I heard transitions. And what's the season but a transition, right? It's this big external transition that affects you, the land, your body, everything around us, essentially. That is um, profound for me because transitions, when we have somatic awareness, 
invite a pause. So I'm cooking dinner. I turn off the flame. Right before I plate the dinner, there's a transition. I'm going from the stove to the plate. 10 seconds to breathe. 10 seconds to notice where's my body as I do this transition. If we can start seeing transitions as invitations to just pause and notice where we are, we stay up to date with ourselves through the day. So we don't get to this place where we're going through, I mean, we go through dozens of transitions in one day, right? Sometimes hundreds, depending on our jobs and our lives. How well are we tracking our bodies through those transitions? And it's not our fault if we're not. We're just learning. It's a practice. It takes time. But to really see, really see transition as an invitation just to notice where am I right now? 10 seconds, nothing major. Then as I'm eating dinner with my family, I already know I'm sitting down at this table with three people and I have no capacity for connection. What am I going to expect of myself here? How do I want to relate? What do I need in support? Maybe I say, I'm feeling really quiet right now. Let me eat and see how I feel in a moment. Maybe I say, I'm going to go lay down for a minute. I'll be right back. The body tells us that's the best thing. We don't have to have strategy when we have somatic embodiment because every transition gives us a pause to check in. Where am I? And listen to those instructions that come up, right? So really just helping us see transitions as, again, beautiful invitation to notice where am I right now before the next thing. Otherwise, we stack through the day, right? And we get very dissociated and disembodied. Now, the first thing we're going to do, we've been sitting here for 38 minutes looking at a screen. So we want to get into our bodies again. And with a little practice that I love, but before the practice, let's just play with body boundaries. So I've been sitting here, usually at a screen, most of me is going to be frozen except for the face. So let's just all notice neck down. And some of you are already doing some people are twisting, some people are stretching, just see like, where's my body right now? Let me stretch it a little bit. Let me move my neck. Let me move my hips. Sometimes standing up is fantastic. Walking around the room, going to the bathroom, getting a drink. Like we have a good minute or two. We're playing with transition right now before we go into a practice. So see where your body is during this transition. What is in need right now? Does it need a break? Does it need to lie down? Does it want to turn the camera off? Does it want to turn the camera on? Does it want to stretch? Like really play with listening right now. Okay. I'm just going to pause for a minute while we listen and see what our bodies show us and see where they are, what they're holding from everything we're sitting with, and then we'll do a practice. My body wants more water, so I'll be right back. So now let's start coming back. And what that means is just come back the way you want to. One thing I love about somatic informed education is there are no rules. You can yawn, you can stretch, you can lay down, you can walk away, you can do whatever your body wants to do. And this practice as we come back is a practice around noticing our capacity to receive support. Now, what is rest but receiving support? When I go sit down, I'm using someone's example that Camille said, when I go sit down and I just breathe, just for a couple, close my eyes and breathe for a couple minutes, I'm receiving that I have breath because I can forget I have breath. Isn't that amazing how disembodied we get? I can forget that I'm allowed to close my eyes. I sit on the couch and I notice, oh, there's a couch. Like someone made this so I can sit on it whenever I want. I mean, there's so much we forget (laughs) when we're not embodied, right? This practice is going to get us in touch with how much is in our direct space to support our bodies. 
And then it's going to also invite the noticing, what's my capacity to receive the support, right? How well can I even marinate in the support that's here for me? So the first thing we want everyone to do, depending on, it's all going to be different where you are in the world right now, like in, in terms of environment, like if you're in a house and a car outside, I want you to scan wherever you are and choose the best place to receive some support. So that might mean going into a bedroom. It might mean going onto a park bench. It might mean getting off the park bench and laying on the ground. Wherever you want to get the most support for your body right now, take time to f- hear that transition and, and follow it. Okay? And you can, see, you can sit up. You, it, it's not going to work any better if you're laying down or sitting up. So just play with wherever you are and I'll give instructions when people get settled. And the only thing that actually matters if, if there were a requirement for this is that you're you're sitting sitting somewhere where your head can be supported. So it can be an office chair like mine. You can be next to a wall and you have your head on the wall. You can have the wall behind you. We want to have our head supported so we're not holding our own heads up. That's going to be very important for this one. Okay. But besides that, it doesn't matter what your posture is or where you are. Okay, now the first thing we want to do is just scan the back of our body. Assuming most of us are being supported from the back side. If you're on the front side, scan the front side. How about this? Scan whatever side is being supported. Whatever part of you is being touched by something that's supporting your body. Just scan it. And we're first noticing and just identifying what is supporting me and how does that feel? If it's a hard wall, it might be like, wow, it's so solid. If it's a soft chair, it might be, oh, it's so soft and easy. It might be a cold pillow. Oh, it feels so nice. might be a warm blanket. Oh, the warmth. Like really notice the body of whatever's holding you. And take a a moment to be with that. And just see, just see what that's like to notice that first. So instead of noticing the part of me that's being held, I'm noticing the structure holding me or the body holding me. Then I'm noticing my body's response to the thing holding me. Starting with the head. Okay. Are my face muscles, the muscles in the front of me, are they relaxed? Are they tight? Is my jaw tight or is it relaxed? Is my neck and shoulders pulling up and constricted or are they hanging down? Let's just start with shoulders, the top of the head and the face. Scanning this whole area, not to make it relaxed, but checking in to see is it relaxed or is it constricted? And just see where that goes for you. Just see what you're noticing as you do that. And then continue following other parts of your body. Let's notice our back. And whatever part we notice, we're going to simultaneously notice the other side. So if you're checking out your shoulders and back, you're also checking out your chest and ribs and lungs. If you're doing your belly, you're also checking out the back, lower back and spine area. So let's just go down the torso from the chest to the waist. How much of me is constricted? How much of me is expanded and receiving this? 
And again, not to change it, just to notice it. And you're all going to notice different states. Some of you will notice, oh, my head is so relaxed. My stomach is really tight. That's normal. So it's actually normal to find different states that even contradict each other. That's fine. Okay, then you're moving into your hips. Notice your hips, front and back. Notice the front, the sexual organs, the back, your butt, and how that runs into your thighs, front and back. Notice that area. Pelvic constriction tends to be very prevalent in traumatized systems. Notice how that area feels. Notice how your hips feel. Are your thighs pulling up and away from the thing holding you, or are they easing into it? You see your knees, you see the, your shins, your calves, your ankles, your feet. And you're really seeing how are these body parts responding to what's supporting them. And as you notice this, you might have movement emerge, you might change your position, you might open something, that's fine. And you might notice inner movement. You might notice something inside shifting that isn't expressive. That's fine too. What we're scanning right now is we're noticing what's my body's capacity to receive the support it has. Regardless of our situations, we have support right now, which is pretty phenomenal. We have blankets. We have floors, we have yoga mats, we have couches, we have pillows, we have clothing. Resources from another body, maybe a plant that was woven into thread or a field that was turned into a factory. Individual nervous systems and hearts that went to work to create the pillow that I'm putting my head on. I mean, it's so intimate if you really feel into that, how connected we are. And how does my body experience that? Is my body attuned to that traumatic overcoupling of it's not safe, so I'm resisting the support? Or is it feeling the now and saying, ooh, right now I'm allowed to feel the support? And try, try to do this without judgment. If you're finding constriction and difficulty and pain and nervousness, that's okay. Just be with it. It's not what you want, but it's okay. You're allowed to feel those things. Just staying with that just to notice. And I would love some people writing into Camille what they're noticing so we can get a feeling for what's happening here. You know, as a collective body. And as she gets those and we hear them, also noticing what's the difference between doing this practice in a group and doing it alone? Does it offer me more resourcing? Is it easier to drop in? Is it harder? Is it the same? Share anything you're feeling in the DM to Camille and she'll start reading it when she's ready. <clears throat> Becoming very drowsy. I'm so tired. It's easier to notice if I close my eyes. Uh, the body unfreezes as I turn into tune into it. 
I notice tension in the head and feels tender. There's a desire to cry. I'm feeling really loved and held. The lower back feels tight, but I'm yawning. I feel support and less lonely, a feeling of safe and soft. Uh, I'm giving my permission to do this in a group. Uh, right now, I'm allowing myself to rest. Feeling the urge to distract myself. My overcoupling feels too big. I want my mom. It's harder to rest in the group. I felt the fear and stiff stiffness. Uh, every part of me that's touching something feels tight, even though I'm trying to relax. Let's pause there. I'm going to say this again to write to Camille that I'm going to speak to something. Someone that's having a hard time feeling safe right now in their body, someone that's finding themselves constricting, someone that's finding themselves pulling back, please write to Camille if you want to do a demo with me. I'm going to say what that means. It's going to be no more than 10 minutes. It's going to be a very simple drop-in. It's going to be recorded. People are going to see it. People might hear it publicly outside of the space. So if you're open to that, write to Camille. She'll look through some of them and she'll choose somebody in a minute or two. And in the meantime, again, notice what we're hearing. Notice the variety of experiences. Some people just sinking into themselves tears wanting to come up, inner states wanting to express because they're finally being held, right? Other bodies, and I love how the one person put it, my overcoupling is too big. That's so honest, so honest. It has nothing to do with them. It's their overcoupling. They didn't invent it. So really just noticing how it's so easy, regardless of our reality, for our bodies to not attune to those realities and still be constricting. So those of you who are having a hard time with this and feeling the constriction, right? Your body is showing you what happens when you try to rest, what happens when you try to be supported. You might have the intention of rest. You might create a beautiful restful day or ritual for yourself. Your body might not trust it. That's what this is teaching us. And just noticing, just seeing that. And I hope to do a demo with someone just so we can show how we can work through some of that. Not in the expectation that this person suddenly feels really safe, but just how to go to the next step then if you are still feeling the stuckness of receiving the support. Do we have someone, Camille? Yes. Uh, and in case you haven't been in our spaces before, if I call on you and you change your mind about doing the demo, just let me know. Uh, Kat Bula, would you like to do the demo? Sure. Awesome. Great. And can you spotlight us, Camille? Thanks, Kat. And you're okay knowing that big things might come up and we might not have time to be through all that. You're okay with that? Okay. Start by telling us what you're feeling, like what happened for you in this practice. Um, as you called our attention to certain parts of the, that's happening right now, a, a, just movement and twitching and yeah, fluttering in my heart. Okay, perfect. Uh, thank you for presencing that is happening right now. So tell me if you're open to lying down while we do this or if you prefer to sit up. Lie down. Okay, great. 
And whenever we do demos, I like you all to know, those of you that are watching, you're the space holders here. So it, it doesn't have to be passive. You can really feel like you're with us through this. And you can follow us, you know, as if you're a cat, or you can just watch whatever feels better for you. So notice you lay down and something in you starts to move and twitch and fidget, right? Now you said your hands, did you also say your chest? Where was the other place? Um, hands and I don't, I didn't say it's like my hands and my butt, but my chest, I was also feeling a fluttering in my chest. Flutter in the chest. And that's important to me. So what we want to do is let's feel that flutter in the chest and tell me if the hands are expressions of that flutter or if they're separate. They're expressions of it. Beautiful. So let's start just by witnessing there's a flutter in my chest and it's expressing itself through my hands. Okay. And everyone else noticed the same thing if this was your experience, if there was restlessness or any kind of distraction from the body. To our minds, it might seem like a bad thing, like I'm not resting. To my mind, this is a great thing. Like your body is being given the opportunity to express something it's holding, right? Now I'm going to ask you to first not move the hand for a couple seconds to feel if an emotion arises without the movement or not. I have to force my hands not to do it. It's not really a choice. So notice that. Notice that, yeah. And tell us if there's an emotion attached to the fluttering in the heart or if it's just a sensation. There's a feeling of not being safe. Okay, thanks for telling us. And you can let them move as much as they want. I just wanted to see. The reason why I asked you is often the expression is soothing the state. You know, it's almost like when we take the the pot, the lid off of a boiling pot of water, the steam goes out, the boiling goes down. So this movement that we're seeing in Kat's hands, it's one way your body's kind of just trying to disperse some of that charge. So when we stop the movement, it gets us in deeper connection with, well, what is it actually expressing? What's in there? So not feeling safe. Okay. Now, take a look around the room and tell me if you can find one thing in the room that you like, one thing that's pleasant, one thing that's beautiful, you tell us. Um, my journal is this really lovely shade of green. Beautiful. Where do you feel that lovely shade of green journal in your body? What part of you can feel it? In the heart. So interesting, same place that was fluttering. Tell us what it feels like in the heart, the journal. It's uh, warm and kind of spongy. Mm. Does that warm sponginess, is that a transformation of the fluttering or is it in addition to the fluttering? It's in addition. Good, good awareness. So let's just feel the whole of this experience of the heart right now. There's a fluttering, there's a warm sponginess. Is there anything else you want to add to that? There's a, there's a pressure on my chest. Mm. The heart or like the chest, like the musculature over the heart? Musculature. Yeah. So great awareness. And look at these layers that Kat's bringing us, right? Of the sensational awareness. It's really beautiful to witness. The muscles over the chest are heavy. The heart itself has these two contradictory experiences. One feels gooey, or you, to your word, spongy and warm, right? The other feels fluttery and not, not safe. 
Now we're going to practice something called pendulation together. Okay. That just means we're going to take a couple seconds to breathe into the spongy warmth, that safety in the heart, and just kind of marinate in that. And then a couple seconds to marinate in the fluttery, I don't feel safe. Okay. So let's start with the sponginess together. And literally just with your breath as if you're dipping into that part of your heart, just taking a couple seconds with it. And then gently dip into the part that's fluttering. A couple seconds with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that breath, go back to that spongy part. Okay. And then dip back to the fluttering one more time. And go back to the spongy one more time. And then you tell me what's happening in your body. It's so much easier to go to the fluttering than the spongy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What happens when you go to the fluttering? What happens in your limbs? I saw your legs and your hand. Yeah. 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 And again, and then it takes, it, it, it feels like it takes over my attention and then directing my attention back to the spongy is, is a delayed reaction that I don't have when going the other direction. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I'm going to ask you to sit up if you feel okay with that. And grab a pillow and put that pillow over your belly. And like belly, chest area. Yeah. And tell me what that feels like. First of all, does your body like that or not like that? It likes it. Good. What tells you it likes it? Where do you feel that? Um, relaxing in the belly. Beautiful. So now without relaxing in the belly, we're going to do another very brief pendulation, okay? Going to marinate in that belly that's relaxed. And then with our breath, we're going to breathe up and pendulate into the heart where there's that fluttering for a couple seconds. And this time, when you're with the fluttering, let it move you however you want to move, whatever comes out. Yes. Yes. It's okay. Now go back to that belly, back to that belly. Okay, let's marinate in the belly. Now this time I want you to look at me. We're going to go back to that fluttering, but we're going to move very slowly, even though it wants to move really fast, we're going to move slow together. So it's already happening, come up to that heart again. And I want this, let's practice letting it get bigger and slower. Yes, gorgeous. Yeah, get that Yeah, beautiful and let the elbow get involved. And let the shoulder get involved. Yeah, it's okay. If it jerks, you just bring it right back and you kind of reenact what the jerkiness did. Yes. You know, the shoulder do its thing just like you were doing. We're slowing down these little twitches and we're letting them be longer and more expressive. And we don't want to forget to breathe and we don't want to forget to feel the pillow on our belly while we do this. And now while your arm is moving that way, follow it with your head and your eyes and just see what that feels like. You tell me. My whole arm is sort of clenching, even as I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Are you okay with that? Um, I've never contemplated the answer to that question. <laughs> so check it out. <laughs> Might not feel good, but are you okay with it? Okay. Nice. 
So you tell me with them, those movements, there's the hand, there's the wrist, there's the elbow, there's the shoulder, which one feels better? Which one's easier to be with? Hand now, actually, so much moved to my shoulder. Nice. So we're going to do one more thing. We only have a minute. There's not trying to rush you, but just so your body knows we have a minute. Let's go to that shoulder. You said it moved to the shoulder. So first notice the absence of that charge, right? Now it's up in the shoulder. How does it feel without the charge first in the hands and the arm area? Not quite numb, but there's just so much less there. That's right. That's right. We want to notice that and then go to the shoulder. Like you said, it moved there, which is accurate. Now, as you feel it in the shoulder, what's the intuitive movement? There's no right answer. How does the shoulder want to move? <laughs> okay, so just, you just show me what it wants to do. I'm going to follow you. Mm. Okay, what happens when you do that? Um, there's a, it's making something pop up here. Um, the other shoulder is wanting to get in on it. Good. Let the other shoulder get in on it. And then let's let them be bigger and slower. Like, what would it do next if it had more room? Yeah, I'm going to follow you. Yeah, take your time. Tell us what that feels like as you let that happen. It's considering dissipating. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And just, just witnessing its consideration. We're not forcing it to. But <laughs> oh. I'm becoming aware of the, yeah, the space between my shoulder blades now because it's tensing a lot there. Yes, yes. Now one more thing and then we have to close. Put that pillow behind your head and just lay your head and back kind of just, right, yeah. And just tell me in the resting, what charge is left, what emerges, what happens there? <laughs> um, yeah, there was a sudden spasm in... Yeah, sort of my whole um, sides of my chest and middle back there. Um, yeah, that's that's where. <laughs> yeah, and now compare that to your hands. What are your hands feeling right now? Uh, now that we're talking about them, they want to move, but um, they were previously <laughs> more relaxed. So what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to close this now, just so I can go into explaining some things. Stay with what's happening because you're following the charge beautifully. And as you lay back and you feel the spasms happening and the, and the tension, just play with what we were doing, letting it do its thing and then reenacting it slowly. Okay. And then just let us know how maybe at the end you can DM or let us know how it feels. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Kat. So I always like to ask to put up some emojis of gratitude when anyone does a demo. And Kat, you can, you can, you know, attune to those and check them out if you want. Some some people don't like to, but and this is so important what Kat's body just taught us because when we get still, so think about what Marika said. Remember Marika's overcoupling? When I rest, I, I or I would avoid rest because I have to feel things that are unpleasant, right? This is like a beautiful example of what that means. Okay. Really noticing when the body gets still things start to come up, movements, emotions, sensations. 
there's no, t- the body doesn't have like a amount of time to resolve these things. It's not like I need 10 minutes and I'll be fine. The body decides when it's ready to, to release them. I love how Kat said, it's considering. Like that's really what the body's doing. It's considering. Am I safe? I'm not sure yet. Oh, I'm moving. Nothing's happening to me. Ah, and a big part of Kat's body started feeling safe as it moved up here. We could almost imagine it was moving back to the source, which was that heart fluttering, right? The fingers were showing us, but the source of it was right in that inner chest. So if I had more time with Kat, we would have probably found a lot more nuance that would have emerged what happens next in the body. Um, but I can tell that cat's quite resourced. So I, I didn't feel too worried about that. But let that be a visual for us so we can understand what is alive in us when we rest and why the body would avoid feeling and resting. And the work I was doing with cat, a couple of the techniques, these are things that we teach in the six-week course. So if you're thinking, what was that? What was that? What was that? That's something that we teach in the course. I'm going to put a link right now in the chat to everybody. This is a link to the wait list that opens up in early January. So if you're interested in being part of the course and learning some of these techniques, click the, click the link, check it out, see how you feel about it. We're going to spend the next 23 minutes with an open forum Q&A, which means you can click the raise hand button and you can also write to Camille. Camille will answer them herself if she knows the answer. If she wants to, you know, publicly express the answer, have it be witnessed or have me weigh in on it, she'll ask. Um, and Marika will take over the hands. So um, let's begin. Uh, let's see, Naveed, please come off of mute. Hello, friends. Hey, uh, Naveed. Y'all, Marika, love the hair. Um, this is a beautiful... Um, meta experience I got to be with because my uh, overcoupling with rest is that um, rest means uncertainty. It means being forgotten. It means uh, like abandonment. And so during the session, I couldn't rest in the way that I would want to because um, it's been about three, four months since uh, we I've connected with you, Luis and, and Camille and, and Marika. And I feel forgotten by y'all. I feel like I want to reconnect with you. Um, and so the whole time I'm just like, like itching to click the button as quickly as I can. Cause in 28 minutes, you're not going to get to everyone's questions and I don't want to be forgotten. And that had deep impact in my, um, ability to rest and, uh, it was nice to feel like, wow, in this micro example of like relationships that are really young seeds of relationship, like this is happening right now in a, um, in a, in a three-year relationship where we just are on a seven-day break from each other. And, and that's like so intense because I'm like, is she going to love me after seven days? Like, just like, is the spring going to come back? Is the sun going to come back tomorrow? Um, so I wanted to share that and there's like a selfish feeling to it. It feels really immature to, to be with like, oh, like I'm just like with my forgottenness, I'm thinking of Katie Byron and like what she would tell me right now and her like bitter medicine. I hope y'all are about to release that podcast episode. I hope it ended up happening. 
Um, finally, it finally happened. Yeah, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. you. I, we have to close. If you want to add one more piece briefly, yeah. okay. Thank you. thank you. I loved. You know, your hand went up first, so you were ready. Your your body was like, I'm not missing this. <laughs> And I just appreciate this awareness of this overcoupling with abandonment. And we're even hearing from Navi this experience of retreating. You know, will the spring come back? Will our connection come back? Will the love come back? What happens on the other end of this rest? Really gorgeous. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Mira, please come off mute. Hi. <laughs> so nice to see you all. Um, my share is so so I grew up in in wars um so for me rest was you don't rest you know you're you're constantly in fight or flight because if you rest you might die like just very literally um and I've you know I've been on a long healing journey to kind of really work on that and kind of rewire my nervous system to just be be okay resting and just kind of uh yeah just just be really okay resting and 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 um not feeling the urgency to overcouple with something else or get up and do something and i feel one of the things that's come up for me is having children has kind of reactivated the needing to feel that I can't rest um, because they fill up so much of my capacity, any capacity I do have left over from any work or um, life, they fill it um, and sometimes spill over. So I, I find myself back at that, like, how do I work on this again? Because they just fill every little crevice <laughs> that is that is open for them and i i find that like it reawakens like i've you know i've been on this long 10 15 year journey of healing and kids have totally kind of not back me brought me back to the beginning but they in terms of rest they've totally reawakened that like i can't rest because they need something from me yeah thank you mira if we can all just kind of notice that for ourselves like what reawakens especially we think of those overcouplings we shared in the beginning, what, what activates or proves the overcoupling true? Kids are a great example of that. So I really appreciate that input. Thank you, my friend. So good to see you again. Um, Yu Ting, please come off of mute. Hi, everyone. Um, first of all, thank you so much for this experience. It was really interesting. Um, and my share would be um, that ever since like it was three years ago that I kind of was uh, shot out or kind of pulled out of a safe space, but not physically but mentally realizing something and then that the safe space I was I used to live in didn't uh, or wasn't the safe space anymore I kind of started to feel the restlessness and the inability to rest because I just feel like I'm still on the run to try to find a safe space because the body that I live in doesn't feel safe because it feels quite um, 
hard or the realization I had that my I don't feel safe with myself, but also I don't have a place or people that I really feel safe with currently. And um, I would actually add this to something that you wrote in the mail or the mails that you send us where um, uh, where we have to choose one of the things that I would change that can allow us to retreat from my daily life. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, <laughs> I do. There you also mentioned that you only have to choose one because otherwise your system will get overwhelmed. And this is something that that I'm experiencing. I kind of changed a lot of things or a lot of things changed. And now I feel quite overwhelmed with the whole open, I don't know what to do with it because there's so many things. Let's pause there. Thank you. Thank you for this. This is good. Um, so many things you said that were important to reflect, you know, um, I love, first of all, I appreciate the awareness of I don't feel safe in myself. You know, I wanted us to kind of hear that again for ourselves and check in with that. That's something that we we talk about. The whole course we designed is about feeling safety in yourself. My work is about this. We talk about this in our podcasts. If the safety isn't in the self, there's a natural orientation outward to find the safety. And that's going to be always going to be very flimsy and unsustainable because people and situations just aren't inherently safe. To pretend the world is safe would be bypassing. Um, yet to have a practice of finding safety in me, not easy, but more sustainable. So I just appreciate your awareness and, and speaking that and letting us hear that. Uh, and I love this piece you brought in because I remember writing this around find something and note that is beyond your capacity that you can allow to retreat and just pick one. Because when we pick more than one, what happens? We suddenly have all this space. We're not used to space. Space and rest, they are very similar. Mystery and space, death and space. It's terrifying to have space, right? So we want to really honor when too much space is made too quickly. And I'm hearing in this case, it wasn't your choice. It was the way life changed. We actually have to build our capacity to be in all the space again. And to go back to what I said earlier, when I say build capacity is this intellectual way to understand what I'm saying. But the reality is, how do I nurture my body to feel safe with all the space that's been created? The one spectrum of that could be how do I nurture my capacity to take one minute to breathe? The other one could be how do I nurture my capacity to have a whole weekend? I mean, those are two differences of how much space to move to a new place, to experience grief and loss and death. All these things create space. And the suffering and pain that comes with it is the, the feeling of I'm not safe with space. Okay. So I really appreciate that wisdom you just gave us. That's, that's good for all of us to sit with and feel. Thank you, Yuting. Uh, Rika, please come off a of mute. Hello. It's good to see you all again. So I have problems with resting. Um, I have mold in my home 
And even after taking your last course, um, finding safety within is really difficult still for me. And so when Rika, I take nap, Rika, yeah. I'm just, I'm sorry. My cat just brought in a bird. I have oh to God. go. I have to go release it. I'm gonna ask Camille to take over. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yes. So um, now there's this image in my head of a dead bird. Yeah. Um, so let's even take a moment. Yeah, that, that can be disrupting. <laughs> so let's take a moment. Um, yes. And so, when you're ready, you can continue. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. The mold is back. Um, so yes, um, when I take naps, and I'm usually very tired from the mold exposure, so my body wants to take more naps, but there's so much fear and, um, yeah, there's this hypervigilance. And um, when I take naps, I wake up from sleep apnea and asthma. And so I feel so uncomfortable resting. And I was just wondering if there's anything I can do so that I can get the rest because I'm, I have a lot of illnesses due to the mold exposure. Mm -hmm. So I'm not working, so I'm in this weird situation where I want to or need to move, but I can't. Yeah. And um, but it feels like my body needs rest, and I just don't know how. Yeah. So uh, again, one of the things that might be supportive for you is what we explored a, a bit at the beginning of the workshop is noticing if particularly sleep puts you in a place of activation or bracing. Um, what's rest? What else is rest outside of sleep? So is it sitting by candlelight? Is it reading a book? Is it being under the blanket? Is it sitting outside or taking a walk outside? So it could be for you, particularly in this moment, um, really supportive to explore what could other forms of rest be for the body? What else does your body find restorative that may not necessarily be explicitly sleep? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Thank, Thank you, Rika. Absolutely. Let, let's pause and just hear that. That's great. If we really feel into, even though I didn't hear your whole story, I think I I, I glimpsed enough. Um, just for us to ask ourselves, what are my options for rest? Right? Because if, if my body won't sleep, if I have insomnia, that's not an option. Like I have to be real with what's in my reality. So what what are my options? Not just what am I able to do in my circumstances, but what's my body's, you know, comfort level and reception of rest? Oh, it likes to lay down on a yoga mat for 10 minutes, listen to music. That's an option. An option isn't something my body's not ready to do. That's a desire. And that's beautiful. But we want to really notice what are the options based on what my body has shown me it has the capacity to rest with. So I, I love that, Camille. Thank you. Let's do one more um, person by voice and I'll see if Camille has something she wants to highlight and then we're going to do some closing and settling together. Um, Lily, please come off mute. Oh, thank you so much. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I really appreciate everyone else's shares and I feel a lot of resonance with them and all the advice given. Um, I myself have been someone who's always loved rest and stillness and was lucky enough to grow up in a rural northern uh, woodsy area where we winter deeply, um, yet also from a very productivity-focused family. Um, and I have always been a, a 
person who experienced high <clears throat> mental stimulation, emotional stimulation, nervousness, anxiety, depression, uh, panic attacks, and a lot of chronic pain issues, um, coupled with the fact that for me right now, I'm in an incredibly toxic, uh, misogynistic work environment that I know I need to leave, but I also might be fired any day, um, uh, which is leading to a lot of scariness, mostly attached to not total homelessness, but loss of health insurance. So I feel in a very privileged way, a, that version of these real threats that I can't get away from. Um, and, you know, I have terrible nervous system issues for sure. And chest stress intensely and insomnia and the guilt over it right now is really, I think about that, um, is that coupling of productivity, you know, and, and kind of capitalism, um, but also growing up with scarcity. Um, and, you know, I, um, I, I, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm, I really am looking for ways that are, you know, aligned with how, I, like you said, just said, Luis, the can be somatic with my experience. Breathing is really hard for me. Um, often deep concentrated breathing or vagal, you know, intended breathing um, triggers more like heart and chest anxiety for me and, and um, more head spinny stuff so um i know i have to breathe but um like you know uh i i just also struggle with routine and so the point today of really trying to simplify is something i've been trying to figure out how to do in a routine way that brings me rest so thank you thank you for that and i think the closing i'm going to do is going to speak toward what you're bringing and you know We'll do that in a moment, but I want us just to hear again, just to reflect this, this desire, this share, really noticing again, we're looking for what are my options based on what my body's okay with? Because this is a great example. Breathing for some people is the best thing in the world. For others, it doesn't feel good. Now, obviously we all breathe, but like you're saying, like facilitated breath work. Uh, so it's really good to notice without the judgment of what's wrong with me, my body doesn't like that. That's not an option for my body to rest. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to orient toward what is an option. And we're going to close with something around that. So thank you for that, Libby. Do you want to highlight something briefly, Camille, before we close? Yeah, really briefly. And I know a lot of folks have questions about this and I responded in the chat, but a big question is, so how do we actually uncouple rest from something bad, whether it's laziness or fear? Um, and uh, like Louise was saying, really explore uncoupling in detail in the course. There are a lot of parts to it. But uh, Luis, because so many people had questions about that, I wasn't sure if you wanted to speak to the uncoupling process itself. Yeah, absolutely. So just to echo Camille, we spend an entire week in the course practicing this. And then a lot of people go into our membership and we spend months practicing this. I can't say this enough. Uncoupling is the most advanced, difficult somatic practice. Somatic therapists, I know teachers of mine, it takes years sometimes to fully understand as a therapist. So if you have no background in trauma and you're diving in to do the self-led work, it can also be really challenging. I'll say a contradictory to contradictorily in the same breath, it can also be really natural for some people. Some people just get it. And we see in the course all the time, like, whoa, I just had an uncoupling while I was watching the demo. 
So it's really interesting because the body naturally uncouples when it positively overcouples the present. I'm going to break that down for a minute. Our overcouplings, okay, they are traumatic, stressful associations based on past traumas that feel like what this thing happening now is bringing up, right? They're like a more nuanced trigger, if you will. This situation is reminding my body of something in the past that was threatening. So we get out of time. And just like just like Kat was teaching us when, when she was saying, I... Uh, how did this? Oh, I can. I'm mostly only able to focus on this this sensation of fluttering. That one's taking over my attention, not the safe one. Right? There's a wisdom to that, because that alert system we have in our bodies that goes off when we have a trauma response. It is loud. It is bright. It is sensational. It is really there to get our attention. We don't feel the more subtle, safe parts of us. Those, are, those take time to not just find, but they take time to trust settling into. Because the more we settle into those, just like we were talking about with the rest earlier, we start to lose our defenses. And a traumatized system is a system that is constantly in defense of life. It is bracing against because it views everything as potential or actual threat. It's very confusing and overwhelming, as we know, if you've had this kind of nervous system. Okay, so when we're uncoupled, what's actually happening there? The present moment of me laying in the bed, I suddenly can feel more of the present moment of me in this bed than I can feel of past situations this is reminding me of. That's how basic it actually is. The process of it can be super complex because sometimes six overcouplings emerge when you're working with an uncoupling and it gets confusing, right? We saw it with CAD. Negative or traumatic or stressful overcouplings, they show themselves to us through bracing and constriction. So everything that was going on in Kat's body, the hands moving, the fluttering in the chest, the feeling in the butt, those were parts of the body that were overcoupled. Those parts were believing they weren't safe, even though we all saw Kat was safe. Kat intellectually knows she's safe. Doesn't matter. Those parts are overcoupling that there is a threat possibly looming. That's what an overcoupling is when it's traumatic. Once parts of Kat's body or any of our bodies as we do this start to feel more of the room they're in, start to feel the absence of current threat, they uncouple from the past experience. Okay. So when we feel that constriction in our bodies, and we're looking around and we know mentally, intellectually, there's nothing going on here. Yet there's a ton of anxiety in my body. We're overcoupled. That's how we know the body's holding something that isn't in real time, even if it's future. Even if I know in one hour I have a presentation, I'm terrified. I'm overcoupling that future with this moment here. It's not, it's, I'm not in present time. As I gain present time, my body experiences loss of future or past threat, right? Anticipated or remembered threat. My body loses that sensationally and it gains the sensation of now. I am now uncoupled. Because I'm overcoupled with the reality of I'm safe right now. So we're always overcoupled. It's just what are we overcoupled with? And so that doesn't answer the how to because there's no way I can answer that in five minutes. But that's what an uncoupling and an overcoupling is. And so as you play with this, and you're all going to get a replay of this, you can rewatch it. 
as you play with this idea of, ooh, okay, I'm laying here, I'm in my bed or I'm on my couch or I'm with my best friend or wherever I am, I know I'm safe, I know this is comfortable, I know I'm allowed to rest, yet parts of me are bracing, those parts are overcoupled, and the more time and space we give them to catch up to the room they're in, the more quickly they will naturally uncouple, even without any special training or any courses or anything. The body will just do that the more time and space we give it. So the best answer I can give you for how do I how do we start this now is um, small titrated practices like this one. Set your alarm for 10 minutes a day and just practice receiving the support of the ground or the bed or the chair or the breath or the hug, whatever it is that's supporting you. Just practice receiving it. And every day you practice receiving it for 10 minutes is every day that those overcoupled parts will eventually realize well, I did this six times this week and I'm okay. Maybe I'll release a little today, right? Like Kat said, they're considering releasing. Once they actually release, they're uncoupled. So practice might lead you to a natural uncoupling, okay? So let's take this moment just to ground one more time together. Again, ground just really means take a break from me and anything I'm saying and even the screen. Look around your room, Identify some of your supports right here in the room. Identify any co-regulators like plants, trees, animals, crystals, paintings, anything that brings your body safety or joy. And let your body catch up to those to feel its experience right now. And as you leave here, to go back to Lily's share, really checking in with our bodies in a way almost like we're anthropologists of our own bodies. Like we're learning, oh, what do I have the capacity to receive? What kind of rest is an option for my body? Not what I want it to do. How does it show me it likes this? It likes a bathtub. It likes looking out the window. It likes music. It likes being hugged. It likes laying down for five minutes after eating food. Any of it. The more of a list we compile, the more options we learn, and then we have more choices to play with with our rest. Okay? I want to thank Marika and Camille for hosting this with me and all of you for doing the three weeks. It was really fun. We're going to do four every year now because this was so good. So every season, there will be a new one going out with a different a different topic, okay? Um, if you want to unmute and say goodbye, know this is being recorded. Feel free to do so. We're going to close now, okay? Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time.
Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there.